morning, church. It's so good to see you today. Um, if you don't know, my name is Joshua. I'm married to an amazing woman. Her name is Rachel. And it is our middle child's birthday today. I know what I was doing five years ago. I was looking at my beautiful Shalom's face for the first time. <laughs> and I'm going to cry. <laughs> she's incredible. She's amazing. She's so full of life. And you'll see her running around as soon as the Sunday school's done and they send them up, you'll see her running around and jumping around the furniture. It's so good to be home, right? The one thing I love about church is that Jesus did not die, that we can come to church on a Sunday, fill up a seat, and then go home and be normal. Jesus, oh, and to pay tithes, don't forget that. All right, but Jesus died so that we could be welcomed into a functioning, healthy family. That's what we are, guys. We are a family. And we open up our arms and welcome the people that are lost, are broken, and that are in desperate need of community and family. Isn't that incredible? Guys, that is amazing. And I am really, this is not even my introduction. (laughs) This is just for free. But I am, (laughs) I grew up in church and... um, I have had a lot of bad experiences in church. So for me to say that, I have found family, connection, freedom, community inside of a church. It's a miracle, guys. It's beautiful. And sometimes Satan will use offenses to keep us from walking into our destinies. Oh, yeah. So, guys, that was pretty serious. Shalom, my daughter. She was born in a moment where we needed justice. We needed justice in every single area of our lives. Financially, there was injustice happening. Um, spiritually, we were being oppressed by witch doctors and some gormas. Uh, <laughs> the ministry was going through a really difficult time. The community that we served with, <laughs> they were killing people and there was corruption, crime. Our government in South Africa was falling to pieces. Um, there was just so many different injustices happening in our lives that we needed justice to come. We needed it. We were rescuing women in human trafficking. I'm seeing there literally every single hour them being sold for prostitution. Every hour they get raped for less than a dollar. And we are standing there. We're like, God, we need justice right now. Justice, Jesus. Jesus, you are the God of perfect justice. Where is it? Why don't we see it? What is the solution? Because I am done. I'm I'm jumping in pretty deep this morning, right? We can swim, I promise you. Um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> We can swim, I promise. <laughs> and and when, before, before, we fell, before we fell pregnant with our first daughter, God gave us a word that mercy will come before justice. And Selah, mercy, our firstborn daughter. And then our secondborn was coming and we were like, Justice! You know, like William Wallace kind of vibes. And I was just like, this is my girl. This is my child. Yes, yes, yes. And then God said, her name is Shalom, the spirit that destroys chaos. Isn't that incredible? And her name is Shalom Justice. There's a reason. I'm telling you, we are those weird Christians. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) But now wherever I go, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I say is, good morning, Shalom. 
when, when stuff is happening, when we're in the supermarkets and everyone is afraid and scared and, and like really worried about finances, I shout, Shalom, come here. <laughs> when we're walking in the rubbish dump at our community and like there's something happening over there, I know shalom is safe with me. And wherever we go, we're bringing the perfect shalom, peace to the chaos around us. And like God really shifted our views. And I promise you, shalom was not an easy baby to deliver. Um, ask Rachel after the service if you really want to hear an amazing story of three days of labor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. It was really, 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 really difficult. And um, Shalom and I are the only two in our family born in Africa. And that was lots of fun too. <laughs> Post-traumatic stress. I needed it. <laughs> it was really rough. We'll tell you that story some other time. But the lesson that I learned was that to bring peace costs us something. It's a sacrifice. I have to change my perspective of what I think justice is so that God's perfect peace can reign on earth. And sometimes you just got to get out the way and let it happen. <laughs> it's lots of fun. Anyway, so today, guys, um, the title of my message that I'm bringing to you is very close to my heart. It's something that I have been going through personally. So I'm literally going to take my heart, tear it apart, and just let's have communion together. Okay, guys. Um, today, my, <laughs> the title of the message is Focus. Focus. And, <laughs> and the song that I've been singing, and this is a little bit, it might reveal my age, <laughs> but the song that I've been singing, and maybe we can sing it along together if you're okay with me. If you know it, if you don't, it's pretty simple. It goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know it? Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I've been singing this song over and over and over again just to turn my eyes upon Jesus, to look into his face. It's a lot easier said than done. <laughs> I told you I'm going to be a little bit real. <laughs> Dan's not the only one, okay? <laughs> I'm allowed to too. <laughs> but guys... I remember one day, my, myself and my three friends, we were reading this book called Dreaming with God. This was before I met my wife. It was before I went full-time into ministry. And my friend and I, friends and I were reading this book, and we literally were under the mountains in, in South Africa, underneath this, underneath this huge tree, lying in the grass, reading this book, dreaming God's dreams for our lives and our brothers' lives and our friends' lives. Um, and... <laughs> Don't forget about the food, eh? Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 
Amen. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> anyway, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, and uh, my thing is, if we don't have a compelling future, we will not have a fully present purpose. Where are you going? What are we doing? What is the dreams that God has put into your heart that you are going to fulfill? I heard something this week um, about Billy Graham. You guys know who Billy Graham is, right? I hope you do. He's fantastic. What, the, um, the, the, the president's pastor or something like that? Something like that. Anyway, um, Billy Graham, when he was on his dying bed, people asked him, Did you, are you ready to die? And he says, yes, I have fulfilled everything that God had called me to do. I'm ready to go. Isn't that incredible? I mean, I think this is like the epitome of manhood, that by the end of my life, I have fulfilled everything that God has called me to do. Like my word, I want to be like that. But the thing is, are you dreaming with God? Do you know what your future is so that you can be present in the now? Does this make sense? Why do you focus on, um, guys, I'm telling you right now, God is raising up Esther's, the, the anointing that Esther carried. If you don't know who Esther is, she saved a nation, her people, by making a meal. Simply like, and inviting her enemy to come and dine with her. Like, what? <laughs> that makes no sense. But there's a strategy that God wants to give us today that'll bring the enemy to his knees. And it's something, it's a weapon that we are not used to fighting with. It's a, it's a focus on what is God calling us to do and how can we backtrack it so that we are present now. Have you ever been in those situations where you're so worried, so stressed out about stuff that when somebody's having a conversation with you, you're like, uh-huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Good to see you. Goodbye. Have you? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> or your children come to you while you're doing work and you're just like, uh-huh. Okay, Barbie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. You want to watch Bluey? Okay. All right, cool. All right. Have you, have you been there? You, you are physically there, but you are not present. And we miss out on so much that God has wrote. I will tie this up. If you have got your Bibles with you, you can start by turning to Hebrews 12. Okay. Um, and I'm actually going to read it to us. I just want to see. I really, while you're finding that in your Bible, guys, I really believe that God is wanting to heal people that are feeling overwhelmed today. If you are feeling distracted and don't have any focus in your life, God wants to come and bring focus back. Um, if, if you are feeling distraught, like my life is falling to pieces, I really believe that God wants to come and bring resolve and restoration to your life. If you're fearing weary, what Dan was speaking about last week, God wants to come and breathe life into your hearts. I really do believe that God wants to heal anxiety, depression with this simple strategy that I want to share with you today. Amen. Hebrews 12, verse 1 through to 3. I'm going to just read it. You can follow along with me. It says, as for us, that's you and me, right? We all have these great witnesses who encircle us like a crowd, the great cloud of witnesses. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. 
then we will be able to run life's marathon race with perseverance, passion, and determination. For the path has already been marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith into us, who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you and me would be his, he endured agony and the agony of the cross. The joy set before you, having a gaze that is locked and focused. Does this make sense? This is not the time to be distracted. We are living in a season, a time right now, where we cannot look to the left or to the right. We cannot afford to be distracted. Amen? We need to be focused, gaze locked. Have you ever seen those horses and they've got those little blinders on them? I don't know what it's called, like blinders. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Thank you. That was, that was revelation right there. <laughs> I could make a whole preach just on that. Anyway, sometimes we've got to literally put those blinders on so we can get, we won't get distracted. Have you ever, um, <laughs> the one day I was driving, um, I was driving along the road in America recently, and like on a main road, I was freaked out. Um, like around the corner as well. It wasn't like it was far away in some. I'm busy driving, and there's this lady riding a horse on the side of the road. I'm like, oh, my word. What is, what is happening? What is she going to do at the intersection? And as, as I drive past her, her horse, like, jumps, and the horse starts running away with her, and she's having to rein it in, right, so that it doesn't go running into the field. And those blinders that, that they put on horses is so they won't get spooked distracted, that they won't buck and fight, but they will actually know where they're going and be able to focus. Does this make sense? Um, another example is when an eagle is, is hunting, it is able to focus directly on its prey. Have you ever seen those? Or the kingfisher. You guys don't have the kingfisher, right? You do? I don't know. But anyway, they'll like hover above the water, and you literally see when they're about to go for the fish. Their little beaks go down, and they don't see anything else but that fish. And they go, and they catch the fish. And you see this little bird flying away with this big fish in its mouth. It's absolutely f fantastic. It's just like, what is the goal? What is the aim? What is the dream for your life? What are you focusing on? Does this make sense? It is so beautiful. There's so much stuff in Hebrews 12 that you can unpack for yourself. I really encourage you just to go home and study this. There's lots of different things. There's a great crowd of witnesses. What does that even mean? Right? What, 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 like we, must, we must let go of every wound that has pierced us. Wow. I don't have time to hold on to my unforgiveness. You don't have time for me to walk around wounded. I don't have time for you to walk around wounded. We need each other healed. We need each other whole. I'm not saying 
I'm not saying, hey, when you're hurting, don't tell anyone. I'm saying deal with it. Confront the hurt. Don't run away from the hurt. If you're anything like me, as soon as I was given some interesting tools growing up that when I was hurt and what you call it, I would just passively just walk away from the situation <laughs> and not deal with it. Like that's <laughs> or bottle it up until one day I explode. <laughs> and in Christianity, there's this thing where we are afraid of emotions. Uh, I, I, made a, I made a joke, but I was pretty serious about it. It's like, yes, I am an emotional guy. I'm very emotional. I'm well aware of it. But I have spent the last few years <laughs> learning how to swim in the sea of my emotions. <laughs> and I understand if you feel like you're drowning in my emotions. <laughs> but I know how to get out of it. <laughs> that was a joke. I promise you, you'll get it later. Um <laughs> And the other thing I really like about this is the scripture. It says, oh, where does it say it now? Get rid of every wound that has pierced you and the sin that so easily entangles you. Like, like the stuff that you are dealing with, it's, it's there to entangle you and hold you back from running your race. Now, if you, if you came in today feeling like, man, I've just messed up. I don't have a few. Why would God use someone like me? I really feel like Jesus wants to set you free from that today. If you came in here today really hurting, I want to release grace for healing. We see emotional healing on a weekly basis. On a weekly basis. Like it is so beautiful to see people set free from stuff that they've been carrying for many, many years. And it's easy, it's not hard, it's not complicated. It's simple. Jesus is the binder of wounds. That's his job. That's what he does. It's so easy when he does the work and you just go along for the ride. Amen. Anyway, so that there's a reason for all of this, so that you can run the race that you are called to run. I cannot love on, preach the gospel to, represent Jesus the way that you can. And you want to know what? I'm not even going to try. But I want to see you going where God sends you to bring revival wherever you go. This is not the time to sink back. It's the time to remain focused. Does this make sense, guys? Hallelujah. Am I losing you? Do I need to tell more jokes? Do I need to be more funny? I can, I promise. More jokes. Yay, Josh. <laughs> oh, I've got a couple, Josh. Okay. <laughs> no, please don't. I'll get Rachel up here. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, in Proverbs 13, verse 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. If you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling anxious, if you're dealing with any kind of anger, um, any form of depression, there's five stages of depression, um, it might be because you were hoping for something and it wasn't fulfilled. Does this make sense? And Jesus is the only one that can, that can fulfill those needs, fulfill those desires, fulfill those dreams. So if you're feeling that I really go to Jesus, the verse continues. A dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Does this make sense? Amen. So good verse. Um, dreams help me not to grow weary. This is one of my points. You're... There's lots of parents in the room. Hallelujah. Now you understand. But sometimes you love your kids. Amen? Oh, yes, you love them. But they do things. 
Occasionally, my children will, not all the time, because they're perfect, they're the best in the world. Um, they'll do things, and you're like, oh, my word. <laughs> Why have you colored the couch in? <laughs> I'm joking. That, I, I really don't care about my couch. <laughs> Or why, <laughs> if you're dad and you got kids in diapers, you're like, why is it up in your hair? <laughs> How did it get there? <laughs> and you're like, why? But God has given me a dream for my children. And in the mundane, in the normal routine of life, I'm able to keep on loving. Even when, dad! Yes, child. Please wipe my bum. <laughs> you're able to get, y'all know what I'm talking about. Come on. And you're able to get up and say, okay, if I don't, the whole house is going to stink like that. <laughs> anyway, I'm joking, but I'm also serious. Like there's something about having a dream that empowers you to endure, not grow weary in well-doing because you know why you are doing it. You know where you are going. You know what the objective is. You know why you are able to get up in the morning and just keep on going. It's because you've got a dream. You've got a desire. Dream big. I can tell you right now, you are not dreaming big enough for your life. You're not dreaming big enough. Have you taken your dreams of writing CDs and releasing albums? CDs, what somebody teased me because they don't do CDs anymore help <laughs> it was really funny actually I felt very old <laughs> it's like yeah I remember when CDs came out anyway um, <laughs> uh, yeah yeah was my just want to check if I'm missing anything yeah was my success story are you guys ready the life of Peter. I love that guy. I relate to him. He's impulsive, crazy, uncontrollable, passionate, and he makes dumb choices in the Bible. Have you read it? Oh, my word. Jesus actually turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan, and rebuked him publicly. Sometimes I can really relate to him. <laughs> Anyway, if you want to, you can turn to Matthew 14, verse 22. And I just want to read a little bit so that we can get a little bit of a context for the story. Okay, Matthew 14, verse 22. I'm in Acts right now, Luke, Matthew 14, verse 22. And it's a really, really, really good one. The one morning I woke up about, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago, and I was feeling really overwhelmed emotionally, spiritually, just feeling really sad. And I was like, God, I feel like I'm drowning in my emotions right now. I'm overwhelmed. I don't think I can. I can't find air. I just can't. I'm battling right now, Jesus. Help. And I could feel Jesus literally pick me up and pull me out of my emotions and said, Joshua, I'm calling you to walk on top of the things that you are going through right now. You're not called to be able. I will never give you something that you are unable to handle. My son, trust me, I'm a good dad. I know you can do this, son. I believe in you, my son. Come up with me. And I literally felt myself rising up and stepping 
onto the situations that I was going through. I am not a victim, and neither are you. We are more than conquerors. And we've just got to change our mind. I choose not to drown in my emotions. I choose not to fall into depression. I choose not to partner with anger. It's my choice. My emotions are mine, and I rule them. Sometimes with an iron fist, this is not a democracy, emotions. You don't have the right to vote in my life. Does this make sense? You can learn something from communism. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry, Talia. <laughs> anyway, Matthew 14, the storm of life. Here we go. I'm going to give a little bit more of a context. Jesus hears about... A little bit earlier, Jesus hears about his cousin who was beheaded for the gospel. And yeah, Jesus is preaching the gospel, um, feeding people. They see a huge miracle of, of fish coming in. And then Jesus says in uh, verse 22, I didn't give you the verse, right? Um, Jesus says, as soon as the people were fed, Jesus told his, told his disciples to get into their boat and go to the other side of the lake while he stayed behind and dismissed the people. After the crowds departed, Jesus went up into the hills to pray. I love this. I love that the Bible did not take that part out, that Jesus went away to pray. He was overwhelmed with grief grieving his cousin that had died, and he needed to be alone. Isn't that beautiful? But Yari is. He sends his disciples to the other side and says, I will meet you there. I'll walk around the lake <laughs> just so I can spend some time with Jesus. And it goes on and it says, what? His father. Jesus wants to spend, yes. Um, I caught myself. Um, but the disciples who were now in the middle of the lake, oh, sorry, as the night fell, he was there praying alone with God. His disciples were now in the middle of the lake and ran into trouble. <laughs> For their boat was tossed about in the high winds and heavy seas. After about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the waves. When the disciples saw him walking on the waves, they were afraid and said, it's a ghost. Then Jesus said, be brave and do not be afraid. I am here. Peter shouted, Lord, if it is really you, then have me join you in the water. And Jesus says, come. So Peter stepped out into onto the water and walked towards Jesus. But as soon as he saw the waves and the winds, he started to sink and he cried out, Jesus, save me. And Jesus comes, grabs him by his hand, pulls him up back onto the water. He didn't carry him back onto the water and walked with them back into the boat. And then Jesus says, you have little faith, gets up, calms the storm. Wow. Amazing story. We all know it really, really well. Poor Peter always gets so much flack for that story. Like, hey, he sank. He looked at the waves. He was afraid. But he was the only one who stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. I'm going to unpack it a little bit more. Jesus, the, the one that knows everything, when he sent the disciples out onto the lake, do you think he knew about the storm? 
Hmm. When Jesus said, Peter, come and join me into, on the water, do you think Jesus knew that he was going to get afraid, distracted, filled with unbelief and start to sink? Do you think Jesus knew? Does this make sense? See, it is great. Jesus was trying to teach Peter a lesson. And the God of the shores is not the same God as the God of the storms. And if you know people, like, it's so easy to preach a message on the shores and say, God is good. He is amazing. He'll make a way where there seems to be no way. But when you are in the middle of the storm, something has to shift. Now, your convictions are being put to the test. Do you really believe what God has said? Do you really know that God will never let you down? Do you really know that God is with you even when you don't feel it? Do you really know that he will not let you die? Do you really know? And you know those people who have gone through huge storms in their lives. When they come and they say, God is with you, bam. You're like, whoa, I know what you've been through. For you to still be praying, Jesus, it's a miracle. It means so much more. It's been refined. It's been worked out. It's been made personal. Does this make sense? Jesus knew that they were going to face. And here's the craziest thing. The disciples were fishermen. They had been in many storms before. Some commentaries say that this storm lasted for nine hours. Nine hours of struggling, trying not to die. They just kept on going. They were hopeless. Maybe they were out of their brains imagining ghosts. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. But I, like, here's the craziest thing. Um, God calls us into the storm so that we can come out of it with conviction that will last. Does this make sense? A new revelation of who God is personally, that the God of the shore, it, he, he's made himself more well known to us as the God of the storm too. Does this make sense, guys? Does this, does this resound? I, I don't know if you're quiet because it's hitting home or am boring. Um, <laughs> first-hand conviction will always far outweigh second-hand information. I'm going to say that again because that was pretty good. First-hand conviction will always far outweigh secondhand information. Does that make sense? I'm going to say that one more time until I get a hallelujah. First-hand conviction always far outweighs secondhand information. Doesn't it make, guys, that's, that's so good. It is so, 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 so good. In James 1, it says, um, consider it all joy, when you are facing trials and tribulations. What? I don't want to be happy when I'm sad. I don't want to do that. When someone irritates me, I just want to be irritating back. Now I've got to consider it all joy. God. I'm I'm not (laughs) over-exaggerating. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when life gets hard, consider it all joy. Ah, man. That's difficult. For some of us, the reason we have deconstructed our faith is because we were living on someone else's revelation. Isn't that a God? Nothing can change our conviction of who Jesus is once we have gone through the storm. I think in, in Psalms 20. Psalms 23, it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't want to go and make a camp in the valley of the shadow of death. I don't want to stay there. Um, it's not biblical to encamp yourself in bitterness, sadness, darkness, despair, anxiety, depression. Do I have to go on? We're not supposed to stay there. The Bible says, though I walk Bye. through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Have you walked through the valley? Are you in the valley? And God's calling you to stand up, dust yourself forth, and keep on walking through. He is a good dad. He will never give you more than you are capable of handling. Handling. Amen? Does this make sense? And I do have three points, and I really want to get to them. I'm getting so distracted. I want to say this. Um, <laughs> I need to focus. <laughs> I want to say this. Young people, 17, 16, 18, 21, 25 years old, be convicted about something. Like, like there's this grace of God today to bring conviction into your heart so that you can stand for something. Not being tossed around with the waves of life. Because life, Christianity isn't sunshine and flowers and daisies and skipping around. Life is tough sometimes. Not all the time. It's got really, really good moments. A lot of them actually. But sometimes it's hard. And we will not stay in the valley of the shadow. Does this make sense? Hallelujah. Get convicted. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus was teaching Peter how to focus because he needed to. It was a leadership strategy. Men, leading your family one day, learn how to focus on Jesus despite the storms and situations of life. The reason why you are bat, sorry, let me rephrase. The reason you might be battling with pornography and lust and addiction is because God wants you to focus on him to teach you the strategies to be a good leader of your family one day. Amen. That was a good one. High five, Jesus. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you focus on Jesus, you will have the grace to sustain you through the storms of life. So much grace today, guys. So much grace. And there's three points to my preach. If I have any points, these are them. And they are distractions. This isn't all the distractions. There's probably a whole lot more, but I don't like lists, so there's three, okay? Number one is fear, <laughs> fear and unbelief. Fear distracts us. 
<laughs> um, unbelief keeps us from stepping out of the boat. Fear of drowning keeps us in the boat of what you are known, where you find security, what you find security in. Does this make sense? Fear and unbelief. And there's, <laughs> it has come, fear and unbelief have come to take away our faith, our confidence, and our clarity. This is a good word, guys. Fear, unbelief wants to take you, wants to rob you of your confidence, your clarity, and your faith. And like, I, can't, I can't give that back to you today. It's only through Jesus, keeping our eyes on Jesus. So if Satan has came, come and robbed you of your faith, your confidence, and your clarity, there is a grace today for him to come and bring that back, set you free from fear, and um, bring clarity and order and direction. And I remember, I remember the time in my life when I was dealing with depression and anxiety and worry and fear and unbelief. And Jesus said this to me. He says, if you do not look at fear, unbelief, anxiety, and depression as your enemy, it will destroy you. I remember that moment where I had a choice to either succumb to anxiety, um, bow down to depression in my life, and, and settle in the fears of life. I would not be where I am today. I decided that day that I am going to wage war against these things so that it doesn't destroy my life and the dreams that God has for it. Satan does not want to come and hinder you. He doesn't want to come and keep you back. He wants to destroy you. That's his objective. You look too much like Jesus for him to leave you. Are you going to settle in this place and say, yes? Or are you going to stand up and say, oh, cool testimony. I remember the one day in Mozambique uh, when we were in our harvest school. Um, I was sleeping, and, and I love my sleep, especially when it's hot and sweaty and you sleep in a pool. Of, and I remember lying there, and um, I woke up to this, 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 this thing object, whatever, with red eyes and a dark figure leaning over me in my bed. And like the fear just went like electricity up and down my body. I'm like, shudder. And I was like, no, I know who I am. I know who, do you know who I am? And as soon as I started saying, do you know who I am? I don't know if I was dreaming or if I was really shouting. My poor roommates must have been weirded out. I was just like, do you know? As I was saying that, I could see myself being lifted up to the place where I am seated in heavenly realms. And I saw that little thing melt into a small little thing. And it was actually afraid of me. Because I know who I am. I am seated in heavenly places. I have got the authority because Jesus has overcome. Simple. And as I was saying that, I see this thing just go running out of the room. And I went back to bed. A couple of hours later, I don't know. Um, my one friend wakes me up. He's like, Joshua, Joshua, wake up. I'm like, huh? what's up? And he's like, your friend is outside. Go help him. And I look outside the window, and there is my friend buckled over with dysentery. 
And I wake up, I'm like, oh, shame. I grab him some water, go stand, put my hand on it. You know when you touch somebody that's going through a really heaving time? Um, he's like, don't touch me, dude. I'm like, I'm just here to help, bro. <laughs> and, um, and at that moment, I could hear throughout the whole base, that's like, what, 300 students? Everyone's just suffering from dysentery at the same time. It was crazy. Absolutely. When we went to school, there was like 100 of us that didn't have it. And I really believe that dysentery tried to make me sick. And I chased it away. Because <laughs> I knew who I was. Guys, I just, I just tapped my Bible. Hoping that the screen would open. <laughs> you, you can choose to have faith or fear. It's your choice. It's your choice. It is your choice. Do you know, guys, you actually have a choice? You can choose life or death, fear or faith, anxiety. What's the opposite of anxiety? Peace. Thank you. <laughs> and number two, shalom. My second distraction that I want to talk about today is injustice. And I'm going to continue with the story about Peter. If we jump forward into um, Matthew 26, um, and Jesus, I'm probably going to paraphrase so you don't have to turn there, but it's uh, Matthew 26, verse 47. Um, Jesus, I've got to get the whole story now. Do I even remember the whole story? Jesus goes across from the lake um, onto the other side, sets demons free, sees people saved. He, he, he has this huge, big, um, big sermon on the mount. All, all, the, all the families are coming. They're like, come, guys, free food. Jesus is distributing a miracle working food distribution, and everyone's coming. And then Jesus stands there, and he starts preaching, and he starts saying, if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not. And then everyone's like, come, kids, let's go. This is getting weird. Um, and then Jesus gets his disciples. They go and have a meal, and Jesus says, um, one of you are going to betray me. And everyone's looking around like, what? We are for you, not against you, bro. And Jesus does the, the communion, breaks the bread, representing how his body was, he sacrificed his body to pay for our sicknesses. He gave the, the wine representing his blood poured out for um, the full price of our sins. And then he said, hey, can three of you come with me? I'm going to go pray. And Peter was one of them. And they go to, they go to Gethsemane. Thank you. I, I, anyway, he go and pray. And he's praying till blood comes out of his pores. And he's saying, God, if it is at all possible, I don't know if I can do this. But if you say, Father, I will do it. He gets up, goes to his disciples, and they are sleeping. He says, wake up. Does it three times. I was going to make a joke, but I'm not going to. Um, and he does it three times. And on the third time, he says, look, here comes my betrayer. And as Judas walks forward, he says, hello, my friend. Come and do what you have been called to do. Gives him a kiss on the cheek. And at that moment, Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off one of the soldier's ears. What was happening to Jesus was unjust. 
Peter's response to the circumstance and situation was not the wrong one. But he was fighting the right battle from the wrong side. And we, I can relate to this guy so much. I remember the once in South Africa when we were doing... um, I've got two stories. Which one should I tell? Um, Doing um, human trafficking. I remember like we were literally like loving on these women, rescuing them, telling them about Jesus. And one of the pimps comes walking up to me with his hand back like this. He had a golf club. He comes walking up to me like this, ready to, what are you doing? Ready to swing a golf club over me, right? And I just like step up. I'm about to go in the name of Jesus. I walk up to him. He's like, hey, my friend, I love you. And he's like, what you do? What, what, are, you, what are you doing here? I don't understand. I had a choice to respond to the injustice that this man was doing or partner with God's heart for his life. <laughs> I was fighting the right war from the wrong side at that moment. Thank you, God, for your grace and your Holy Spirit that empowers me to make the right choices sometimes. <laughs> Amen. Another story about the injustices that we see. Um, I remember the one day when the, uh, the community brought a nine-year-old girl that had just been molested and raped. And, they brought, and we had to go through this whole process of confirming that she was raped before we can open up a case. And as I step outside, realizing that, yes, this girl was raped, um, I see the whole, this man running down with his, his pants down by his ankle, blood pouring out of his head, and he's running for his life. And I can see the whole community running after him, wanting to kill him for what he had done. I remember that moment. I also remember after we took the girl to the hospital, we came back to the community, and the community was standing with their arms crossed, waiting for me to arrive. And as I climbed out the car with one voice, I heard the demons of the area respond. And they said, what must we do with him? And I said, put him in my car. I'm taking him to the hospital. I was so angry. I said under my breath, because you've almost killed him. I thought he was dead, to be honest with you. And as I said that, everyone just disappeared. No one was there to help me. And I walk over to this man, and he's in a, 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 a muddy blood pile. Um, pile of what? Puddle. Thank you. Um, he's just lying there, just broken. And I look at this man, and you know that verse in the Bible, Matthew 28. I think it's Matthew 28. Jesus says, what you do unto the least of these you do unto me. You know that Bible verse? And as I look at this man, through his swollen eyes, he opens up his eye, and I can literally see the love of Jesus just hit me in my chest as Jesus starts ministering to me while I'm loving on a man that was accused of raping a nine-year-old girl and that was beaten up next to death. And as I bend down, scrapes and cuts all over my body, not afraid of contracting HIV, I bend down, and I'm like, God, you got to protect me from that disease. And as I bend down, I, I pick up this man, and I realize that it wasn't blood. It was gasoline. The community was waiting for my judgment to light the match to end his life or to save his life. My judgment. And I pick him up and I carry, I'm just weeping as I realize that this moment is more significant in my life than it is for this man. I'm literally saving him 
I carry him, put him into the car, drive him to the hospital, and no, and the police like rock up right in front of me. I phoned them like five hours ago. And I'm like, guys, this is happening. So angry. And the police are like, oh, we're not here for that. I'm like, gosh, I'm so angry at my government right now. And I drive away, angry and frustrated at everything and everyone while Jesus is in my back seat. Anyway, um, it turns out that man wasn't the rapist. Um, and uh, he, he was, he, <laughs> like three months, five months later, after his jaw was healed and he was able to talk, he came back to the community and he publicly forgave everyone that hurt him. And he said, how can I? <laughs> how? How can I hate you when Jesus has forgiven me? I'm like, what? I don't, I don't, you, you, you've done a better job of preaching the gospel than I think I ever will. And that man went around preaching the gospel from village to village to village about how Jesus saved his life. How he was falsely accused and beaten up by a community because of people's need for judgment or justice. Powerful, right? Hallelujah. He's saved. I also saw his baby raised from the dead. So that was also really cool. They named him Emmanuel. <laughs> um, and here's the thing, right? Peter responded to the circumstance, the situation, to the injustice correctly, but not with the heart of God. He was focused and distracted by the injustice that was happening now that he almost messed up Jesus' plans. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes, says, Peter, what are you doing? Goes and picks up the dude's ear, puts it back on his head. I mean, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, in the bushes, bye. <laughs> but, but Jesus goes and he puts, heals the man. Yeah, this man that's coming to kill Jesus. And Jesus still responds with love, supernatural power, and grace. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I don't want to miss it, Jesus. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be distracted by all the injustices that are happening in the world and lose my focus off of you. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to miss the mark. Amen. I'm going to move on before I get into trouble. Jesus had a plan in that moment. Jesus has a plan in what we are facing today. If you know me, I had a circumstance happen about a week and a half ago where I was, didn't respond in the right. I was distracted with the injustices going on. And as I walked out of that place, I realized, Wes <laughs> is laughing at me, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I realized in that moment that I had missed the mark. That woman that responded to my response to injustice was crying out for a savior. And I can, I don't think, I don't think I have the grace to go back there and preach the gospel anymore because I got distracted. I do have the grace and I am going back and I will eat humble pie. Um, amen. But I don't want to get distracted anymore. 
I don't want to miss the mark. Jesus has a plan. I just don't know it yet. But you know what? I trust him because I have been through the storms of injustice. And I know that God will work everything out for the better of those who trust him and believe in him and love him. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. And the third point is self-preservation from Peter. Matthew 26, verse 69. Peter sees Peter sees Jesus, heals that man that he just cut off his ear. Jesus, Peter follows at a distance because he's scared to be associated with Jesus, hiding away. And he sits at the fire. <laughs> he, he's watching as they are, slapping him, spitting at Jesus, falsely accusing Jesus. And he's literally sitting there watching this happen. And three people come up to him separately and say, weren't you the man that was with Jesus? And he says, no, that wasn't me. He denied Jesus three times because he was distracted by self, the need for self-preservation. And I love Pat. She says this one thing. She said, um, Jesus has got no interest in preserving your life. Absolutely none. I don't want to preserve my life for the gospel. What are we going to be, a bunch of salty pickles? No, thank you. <laughs> that, that was good. Um, I hope somebody's going to quote me on that one. <laughs> I don't want to be a veggie tail thing. Okay. Um, what? <laughs> I don't want to preserve my life. I've paid too much of a high price to be here. I've sacrificed too much to be in America now, today, to preserve my life. Jesus is worth it all. <laughs> Jesus, you're worth it all. <laughs> and yeah, jumping forward, Jesus comes back. He gets raised back from the dead. He gives them the, <laughs> he gives them the promise of, um, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed right now, as you can tell, um, he gives them the promise of oh, the presence of God, his very breath, the Holy Spirit. And they wait 40 days for this to come. And in Acts 2, the presence of God is made manifest to them. And they are all filled with the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. And it had caused such a chaotic thing that the whole city gathered around this one upper room and we're wondering why there's a noise coming out of there. It's supernatural. And the disciples together decide that the person that, go, that needs to go and address the people was Peter. The man that makes impulsive decisions the man that sank when he walked on the water. The man that denied Jesus three times. The man that lost focus and was distracted by injustice, fear, and unbelief. He got up and empowered by the Holy Spirit, he gave the gospel message with such clarity, conviction, and power that 3,000 people got saved that day. 
In one day, the church grew from 12 or 100 and whatever people. Mike's not just, I I don't know exact numbers. But um, the church grew from that that size to 3,000 strong in one day. One outpouring of the Holy Spirit through one man that was empowered by the Holy Spirit, who paid the price, who endured the storms of life and got through them, made it to the other side, full of conviction, full of faith, full of reality that he knows who Jesus is and no one can tell him otherwise. If somebody comes to me and says, Joshua, is your God the dead raising God? Yes, he is. I have contended to see people raised from the dead, and I've seen it. I paid the the price of praying for people in the morgue, laying my hands on the man that has a heart attack on the street corner. Not like, oh, this might happen, but it might not happen. In the name of Jesus, love! And nothing happens. (laughs) I have contended to see people that are in comas for more than six months come back to reality. They are physically brain dead. The machines are off and the person's just not dying. And you go and you hold your hand and say, live in the name of Jesus Christ. Live in the name of Jesus Christ. Live in the name of Jesus Christ. And nothing happens until the mother walks in and she joins the prayer and the child opens up his eyes for the first time in six months. And you tell me God is not a God that heals. I've seen cancers fall off. I've seen people with, that have suffered the effects of stroke. They are, their body is crunched up. I've seen them open up their hands and get up and walk for the first time. I've seen people with tuberculosis that are, that are literally bedridden on the brink of death. I've walked into the highly infectious rooms where they are busy dying. Where the nurses and doctors wear masks and gear. I walk in with full of faith. And obviously, I'm ignorant. And I walk in, I'm like, love in the name of Jesus. And he gets up and he walks. I know God is the God of the impossible because I have experienced it firsthand. Not only in Africa, but in America too. He is the God that heals. He is the God that saves. What you are going through does not define you because you are not defined by your circumstances that you are going through. You are defined by Jesus and how much He loves you. Jesus is our focus. I was the joy that <laughs> I was the joy that Jesus saw and endured. Jesus is my joy, and that's why I endure. Let's get us, let's get our eyes off of ourselves. And start seeing it through a different perspective. He has walked through worse situations than you are facing. He has done it. Some of you might have even walked through worse situations. Oh, but God, fix my spouse first. (laughs) That was a joke, I promise. It's me that needs to get fixed. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. If we, if we can, um, I know the service is almost done, but if we could just take a, a few moments to close your eyes so I can blow my nose. Um, <laughs> um, but if we could just take a moment. I'm, I'm pretty serious about the blowing my nose part, but if we could uh, all just close our eyes. I really feel like Jesus wants to do something today. No one looking around. I really... Holy Spirit, we just invite you. I know you are ready, yeah. I know you're already working and ministering on our hearts and in our lives. But Holy Spirit... We need breakthrough. We need the empowerments of your Holy Spirit so that we can get through this. If the rest of the band wants to come up here, you're most welcome to. And Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you, Holy Spirit. And I believe if there is anyone here today that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I want to make a, a space for you just to respond to this. I want to make it available for you just to say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this. I've tried it on my own. Now, some of us might have actually lost our faith and we are faithless. And we have just been going through the mundane cycle of life, just being a good person. But yet we don't have faith anymore. I really do believe that Jesus wants to come and give faith back to you again. And maybe there are some of us here today that have been keeping our focus on the things that distract us. The fear, the unbelief, the injustice, the, the need for self-preservation. I really do believe that Jesus wants to come and bring a fresh focus into your life today. So this is going to be a little bit of a brave step. But if you feel like you fit into one of those categories, or if you just need prayer for anything, if you just want to just stand up today, just in your own time, no one's pressuring you. This is between you and Jesus. And you just want Jesus come in, come and restore my focus, my gaze. Thank you, guys. If you want to be set free from anxiety, depression, worry, fear, unbelief, I invite you just to stand up. If you feel like you are just being tossed around in the waves of life, and you're not, you, don't, you don't know what your convictions are anymore, like you're having one too many beers at night, or you're looking at things you're not supposed to, I really do want to, there's a grace for you today just to say, Jesus, come. We want to fix our gaze, our focus on you.
Jesus, we turn our eyes on you. We look full on your wonderful face. God, I thank you that the things of this world will grow strangely dim compared to the light of your glory and your grace. Jesus, we put our attention on you. God, we repent and we ask you to forgive us if we have focused and looked on the waves and the wind. We repent and say, Jesus, we are so sorry. We have been distracted in the season where we need to remain focused on you. And God, we just turn to you. Repentance literally means to turn and go a different direction. So Jesus, we just turn and look to you today.